good morning and welcome to Portico. Before you sit, oh, I caught you, I caught you. Before you sit down, three push-ups for, no, just kidding. Before you sit down, why don't you meet somebody you've not met before? I've already met like three or four new people that, some I had met before and some I hadn't, and there's lots of people. Go ahead, find somebody you haven't met before. Welcome them to church. And if, if they don't know where the coffee is, you take them down and get them a coffee or tea or something like that. It, you're more the, there is coffee and tea, and we think it's even ready. So you're more than welcome to go and have that as a part of the service, and uh, we're glad that you're with us. My name is Rick, if I haven't met you, and I'm the, uh, the campus pastor here in Milton with Portico, and we have services going on in Mississauga this morning as well here, and we're glad that you've chosen to join with us here in, in, into church if you know me, you know that I'm more of a people person. I deal with people a lot better than I deal with things. If, they're, if I love to talk to people, I love to help people, I love to... I can support you if, I mean, if you're needing support, whether it's just uh, you're going through a rough time or you need somebody to hang out with, you're just, you have an extra ticket to the Pan Am Games, you need somebody to go along with, I'm a people person. But when, when it comes to things, I don't, I don't do so well. So when I walk into a store like Home Depot, I feel a little bit out of place because I feel that Home Depot is a place that actually deals with things better than they deal with people. Have you noticed that? When you, they have, Home Depot has strategically placed everything on the shelf so it's not, um, it's not really helpful for people to get things off the shelf. Anything that's large or heavy, where have they put it? on the top shelf, right? And I mean, not the top, top, because you can't reach the top, top shelf without a crane, but the big heavy things are just kind of out of your arm's reach. So if you want to get that, you're going to crush yourself if you're trying to pull that down. So you need some, uh, you need some assistance with that. And the little things like the little screws and bolts and things, they don't put that at eye level. Where do they put that? Right at the bottom, he knows you've had to go down and get on a knee and your back cracks as you're going down to get it. They, they've strategically put things to frustrate people in places, I believe. So when I go in and I, I want to get help with a project, I'll go in and I'll, I'll try and explain what I need because I'm a people person, right? I'll talk to the person. I go up and I find them and I say, you know, I need the, the metal thing that sits on the, the thing with the hole that holds the toilet on the metal on the, the other thing that comes out of it. And, there, and there's that helpful, knowledgeable teenager there that is trying to give you all the information that they can, and they kind of glare at you, and they're like, you're going to need to go to aisle 87B. You need like a road map to find your way around. Those stores are massive, right? And the 87B, go past small machines and textiles, and I'm looking at them, do I look like the kind of person that can go and get this piece for myself? Even if you call it by its right name, I am not going to, I'm asking a teenager in Home Depot how to get the thing for the toilet. I'm not going to be able to help myself on this. Sometimes I just thank the Lord that I can kill spiders, because Amanda would have left me a long time ago if I could, I have no use to her around the house except when it comes to killing spiders. We're in the midst of a series called Paradox, and we are looking at truth and contradictions. And this morning, we're moving on to one of the greatest, um, one of the greatest paradoxes that Jesus put out there. And we're going to find it in John 17 and uh, verses 13 through 19. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to borrow a copy of the Bible, you can slip up your hand and Manir or Art or, or Derek, who's ever on there this morning, will give you a copy of the Bible to, to share, where we're going to look at where Jesus says, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Like, 
a people person in Home Depot. You're in that place, but you're not of that place. And if you do want to follow along, you can always just go to the U version. You can search Milton or Portico, and the verses will be there. But we are going to work, look through John 17, 13 and 19. And let's read this. Here's what it says. It says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying to his father but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So last week we looked at how God's kingdom works and we end up, we found out that uh, there were those who thought that they may be first in God's kingdom. They may end up being last or even out of the kingdom. And we learned about how it's not about living a life that's good enough. It's it's Christ who makes us good. None of us measure up. Remember we had that scale on the chart where who makes the cut. We looked at whose life would be good enough to make it into heaven. And we saw, you know, no one's life makes it into heaven. That's one of the paradoxes of the kingdom of God. But today we're, we're going to look at how now we're living in this world, but we're not of this world. And our culture is forcing us to tackle this issue at a greater level day by day because our world is looking less and less like Jesus looked day by day. And it forces Christians and people who are interested in following Christ to decide, now how are we going to conduct ourselves when we encounter some of the greatest controversies that the church and Christianity has ever faced? We live in our world now in this age of religious tolerance and religious pluralism in our country, yet we profess a faith as Christians. I stand here and I know that my faith is exclusive and it says there's one path to God and there's one path to heaven. And although I meet lovely people who believe something differently, I know that I believe something that says they're not on a path to God unless they confess Jesus. That's a difficult stance to take in this world when we believe, when there's this attitude of religious tolerance. We know that for years, marriage was defined biblically as one man and one woman, yet we all know that there's lots of great people who are, tra- who are attracted to the same sex, living in monogamous relationships, asking for the same label as a heterosexual marriage. What does a life that's lived in this world, but not of this world, what does that look like? Because it's an important task that we begin to think this through. And that's today's paradox that we're going to take on. And what, as we were preparing, if, if you are visiting with us, in all, of our, in all of our venues, we have the same message preached. And so there's about five of us that get together and prepare. And when we were pre- preparing the last couple of weeks, we looked at how does a Christian usually respond when we're faced with this paradox. And we looked at the two extremes. And the first word that we saw that the way that a Christian would respond is to become detached. And that's the first fill in the blank there if you're taking notes in your bulletin or typing them in on your on your smartphone or, or device. We become detached and we respond to a world that holds a different value system from us and we avoid people that aren't like us. It's like playing a game of hide and go seek. It's, I'm just going to back away from any situation that doesn't make me feel comfortable or I don't feel like I fit into. Have you ever played, do you remember playing hide and go seek or maybe you still play hide and go seek? I'm not here to judge. But you, you play 
hide-and-go-seek with somebody that you didn't really want around in the first place? Have you ever done that? Like you had that annoying little sibling that was there, and they went and hid somewhere, and you just never went to find them, right? They were all, they thought, man, I'm in the perfect hiding spot. I mean, they haven't found me. It's been like two hours, and there's, they, I know they're still out there looking for me, but you've totally left them because you're not interested in finding them. And as a church, we have services all over the world. Some of the best musicians are playing in churches. Some, there's millions of dollars of lighting and sound systems in so many churches. And we're putting on great interactive services that are engaging and that nobody comes to them unless they've already been convinced that Christ is Lord and they want to follow him. There's these holy huddles of churches going on. And we have the word, Jesus said, we have the word that gives life and we have the ability to quench a thirst that would never, you'd never become thirsty again and it's tucked away and it's hidden and it's presented in a way that nobody comes looking for unless they've already been convinced of it. And it's like that annoying little sister in the game of hide and go seek. Nobody's looking for us. John 17 and 15 says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Now, our intentions have been pure. We segregate because we don't want to become influenced by negative things. We thought, you know what? I found the truth. I found Christ. I want to be close to him. I want to be close to his people, so I'm going to get around people. And we see habits and lifestyles that we feel they're not God-honoring, so why would we want to take part in that? Or as a parent, you go, why would I want my kids to become a part of that? So we, so we back off, and we avoid, and we become detached. Consider this morning, we are a Christian church meeting in a Christian school. <laughs> we are detached this morning from a world that needs to know Christ. All throughout history, this has been a, a habit, this has been a trend that we've seen go on and on and on. We've seen monastic societies where the monks would say, I'm going to live my life completely detached from the world. They'd go out into the wilderness or they'd build monasteries and they wouldn't interact with anyone except who was studying scripture or in silence studying scripture. The entire new world, Canada, the United States, was founded upon the principle that they needed to go and start a brand new religiously pure settlement that, wasn't, that hadn't been infiltrated by society like it had been in Europe. When, uh, one of our pastors, if you know Pastor Jeff, he was, uh, he was away on sabbatical for the last three months, and part of his journeys went to Florida for a lot of fishing and a lot of hockey, but he also visited this little town called Ave Maria, and then we're going to put a picture of it up on the screen, Gabe, if you don't mind. And, and, and Ave Maria was established by the owner of Domino's Pizza, and his name is Tom Monahan. And Tom Monahan is a Catholic, and he envisioned a Catholic set-apart society in Florida. Now, it's just kind of north of Tampa. And if you've been to Florida, you know that there's large portions of it that are just wilderness, right? It's just like the long grass and the swampland and that. You drive for about 30 minutes of swampland, Pastor Jeff said, and then you arrive at these gates, and you drive in through the gates of Ave Maria, and this is what you see. This is in the middle of barren land, and there's a Catholic school, elementary school, there's a Catholic high school, and there's a Catholic university, and there's grocery stores, and there's gas stations, and there's businesses, and it's not that you're not allowed to move in if you're not Catholic, but I'm not sure that you would be fully welcomed into the society if you weren't Catholic, and it's a pure Catholic community living in the midst of Florida, literally set apart from any other settlement around and people anywhere around that. And there's this feeling for some people that life would be better if we just avoided any situation. If I've confessed Christ, if I've become a Christian, 
It would just be better if I avoided situations that weren't God-honoring. And that idea, that ideology, isn't born in our spiritual nature. That's born in our human nature. Some of the great Old Testament characters, the ones that we, we learn our faith from, Moses, he's the one that established the, uh, the, the new nation of, of Israel, took them out of Egypt through the wilderness and sent them on their way with, um, into, into the promised land. We had the prophet Elijah, who so many of the prophecies of Jesus coming and um, coming out of Elijah. We have Jonah. All three of these men, they prayed a similar prayer. Lord, take me out of this world. Release me from my mission. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be close to you. And none of them were released from the mission. God said, no, I've called you for something different. I haven't called you to detach from the world. And what's the mission? We see it in Isaiah 49, 6. The Lord said to me, I have a greater task for you, my servant. Not only will you restore greatness to the people of Israel or the people of God who have survived, but I will also make you a light to the nations so that all the world will be saved. This is a verse that we need to know, that we are called to be a light to the nations. People will see God through the lives of the people who follow him. For anyone who knows God, that's your mission. Reveal truth, reveal light to this world. And each of us who've taken that task on, we realize and we come to this point where we recognize that's hard. It would be easier if we just decided to stay solid with God and all we ever had to do was just be in places that would encourage our faith and wouldn't tear down our faith and wouldn't challenge our faith. And if we stayed there, it would be so much easier for ourselves to stay pure and honor God. And there is a time and place coming. That's called heaven. And we're not there yet. And until we get there, we have a mission to go be a light to the world. And our mission is to create that same kind of kingdom that we'll experience in heaven right here on earth in any way that we can. When Jesus was teaching his people about this, he called them salt and light. If you've ever been on a health kick, and anybody ever kicked salt from their diet? Anybody? Anybody? You said, I'm t- yeah, a few. You said, you kick, a- kick out salt from your diet, right? What happened that first time you had a, corn- a cob of corn and there was no salt? <laughs> You're like, what am I eating? What am I? This is not the summer treat that I used to want to have. If you, if, if you, know, what so, you know what salt does to a food if you've ever tried to take salt out of your diet. What about for those of you, you're, you're, you're sharing, you're married, you're in the bedroom and it's, I'm not going there, but you're in the bedroom and it's the morning and you're being, you're trying to be respectful of the other one who gets to sleep a few more hours and you're trying to get ready in the morning. And what do you do? You smash your knee off the drawer that was left open last night. You're bumping into walls. Any place that needs light, anything that needs salt, you recognize how important salt and light is where it's required. That's what Jesus was telling us. Matthew five thirteen and 16. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You make the corn good. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Detaching from a society that needs to know Jesus is not something we can afford to do. On the other hand, some of us don't detach. Some of us go swing too far the other way, and we come to our second point where we become desensitized. 
We're not detached, we're desensitized. And we get to a point where we start to lose any distinguishable difference from people who don't know Jesus. And they end, we end up playing a game of twister. And we live lives shoulder to shoulder with people. And when we do this, the people that we share life with, their opinions matter to us, right? The, the, like if, if you're walking through day by day, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, whether it's the people you work with, if, if a good person lives a good life, but it's not a godly life, the danger is that sometimes that opinion may start to influence your opinion and your behavior. And a desensitized Christ follower starts to gain tolerance for lifestyles that are clearly defined in the Bible as sinful. And we start to have this, this dilemma. If an intelligent leader or an intelligent friend or a person we trust feels this one way, then why, as a Christian, do I have to think and feel and act differently? And our, in our key passage, Jesus tells us why. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. In 1 John 2, 15 and 17, he says to us, this is, what, this is what John taught to us. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, check this out, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's a strong statement for those of us who would try to, uh, who would lean more to the desensitized side. Jesus and John here, they both make some very clear statements about what our approach is to be for the things that don't honor him. We can't fall in love with this earth because our permanent residence, if we've confessed Christ, our permanent residence is actually not here. It's in heaven and in the new heaven and earth to come. And we can't seek the approval of people who ultimately believe that truth exists here on earth. Rather, we look for truth as it exists in the Bible and live it out that way. And when the culture of tolerance for others begins to trump the truth of Scripture, that's a dangerous game of twister we end up playing. And we're not talking danger like we're spraining ankles and we're having pulled muscles. In your notes there, you see 1 Corinthians 15. It reminds us that we become corrupted when we start to live intermixed lives and then we begin to resemble lives of those who don't believe. And we don't need to make a mistake here. There is a distinction for those who have said, yes, I want to follow Christ, and those who haven't said, yes, I want to follow Christ. We should never expect that a person who isn't actively working out their faith and actively con confessing Christ, we should never expect that their life would model the Bible because they're not looking for truth in the Bible. If you're here in the, in, the, in the service this morning, we're glad that we have all kinds of people. We know that on a Sunday morning, we have people who are believing in Jesus, those who are just checking out, and those who are just there because somebody invited them. And we have no expectation that unless you've confessed Christ, your life would actually be modeled and follow what it says in the Bible. But look what Rick, Roy, Rick Warren has this beautiful quote of how we balance this tolerance and truth paradox. He said, Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. It's a complete lie. We can have disagreement in our lifestyles and still have mutual respect and love for them. And the second is this, that the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything that they believe or do. 
Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. So I can be a Christ follower who says, I care about everyone, I love everyone, I know that God created everyone uniquely and everyone's God's child, and yet I can still look at them and say, but I believe there are things in your life that aren't right and aren't God-honoring. And you may feel that it's right for you because truth exists in the world for you, but not for me. I go to the Bible and I say, what's true, what's right, and I'm going to live that way. And that doesn't mean that I devalue people as a person just because their life isn't being followed after the Bible, but that's how I've decided to live my life. And people can be mad at me, but it's the, it's the Bible that I'm actually upset with. We can live a harmonious life with a person who lives differently and believes differently than we do. And more so than that, for those who have confessed to be Christ followers, we should expect our lives to look different than people who find truth elsewhere. Look what 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4 says. If you... You have already lived long enough like people who don't know God. This is in the contemporary English version. You are immoral and you followed evil desires. Those are strong words, but that's when we follow after the world's way or truth in the world, it becomes an immoral life, becomes an evil life in God's eyes. Anything that isn't God-honoring is sinful. And you went around drinking and partying and carrying on. In fact, you even worshiped disgusting idols. Now your former friends wonder why you have stopped running around with them and they curse you for it. There should be a, di- Peter was saying, there's a distinction. If we've lived one way and then we've, everything about us has been made new, everything outside of us should be different as well. The minute we say yes to Jesus, the default begins to say no to certain things that aren't God honoring. And sanctification is a process of salvation. And, and when we say yes, the minute we say yes, that equals heaven, and that's the salvation moment. When we say yes to Jesus and we believe that he was God's son, we're qualified for heaven. But sanctifying ourselves is a process that happens day by day, moment by moment, saying, I'm going to give more of my desire over to Christ. And people should be able to distinguish a life of a Christ follower from a life of someone who doesn't follow Christ. You know, we should never be shocked in our world about how gay marriages have become legal. It makes good sense in our world to allow people rights and benefits and even the term marriage because for them it has nothing to do with God's truth and God's logic. It's just the world's logic. This past week we saw Caitlyn Jenner come out. It used to be Bruce Jenner, the former Olympian. And they re- he, uh, Caitlyn received an award of courage and bravery for her transition from male to female. And, and she was... Uh, lauded and she was in the media and we should never be shocked when something happens because that makes good logical sense if truth exists on earth and it's hard to make sense of broken feelings and hurts without jesus and the understanding of we're going to be broken and that we need to go to him and find truth in him and the world will look and act differently than the church will and we shouldn't be shocked by that that's okay But it's not up to us as Christians to adapt our understanding of truth of Scripture. We have to go to the Word and say, my truth starts here, and my understanding starts here, and this is where truth is for me. And even though my life might look differently than other people's lives, I can still love and I can still honor, but for me, I'm going to live differently, and I'm I'm not going to adapt my understanding of truth because the world has adapted their understanding of truth. James 4 and 4 says, when we become desensitized, we begin to toe this line. He's, he called us an adulterous people. 
And when we respond by either becoming detached to the world, because we go, you know, the world has some things I don't agree with, so I'm just going to back away. Or if we become desensitized and we say, the world has some things that seems to make sense if we just played out in this world. When we get trapped into that, that's not a good response either. And for the last part of the message this morning, we want to look at what the response of Jesus was. And he was distinct. That's the third fill in the blank there. He had a distinct response that was different than becoming desensitized or detached. And he reveals a little more of what he meant when he began to pray in his, in his text. He said, John 17 and 17, sanctify them by the truth and your word is truth. Now that word sanctify, I talked about it a few seconds ago. It literally means to be set apart, to be different. Still being right in things, but set apart for another purpose. And if you've ever played the game of risk, you know that you put your pieces on the board, right? And you're set up right next to people who are actively going to attack you and actively going to try and take you over. And they're just going to roll the dice and try and make you part of their kingdom. And their goal is world domination. Now, our goal isn't world domination. <laughs> but our goal is to, to situate ourselves right beside people with other goals and other systems of truth and say, I want to let you know what my truth is. I want to reveal to you the truth. Come in to this kingdom. First Peter 2 and 11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. We need to make sure that we understand that there, are, that, that there is a war, there is a battle going on. But our goal is set before us by, set before us by Christ. Go into the world and make disciples influence people, witness to truth, lead lives as an example of the nature of God, and live them out in a way that other people would be inspired to change and live differently. Here's what John 1 and 14 say. The word became, that's truth, that's Jesus. The word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father. And here it is. He was full of grace and truth. And without grace, you will never earn the right to be heard. And without truth, you will have nothing worth sharing that would ever cause a person to change what they believe. I was reading in the Life Journal, I think this was two weeks ago, and there's the story of Jesus who encounters the prostitute. And uh, everyone wanted to have Jesus judge her and sentence her. As a, under Jewish law as a rabbi, the, the, the culture said, you know, this lady is living something wrong and she should be judged according to our law. And Jesus looks at her. If you know this story, it's such a beautiful story. He had grace and he said, you know, each of us is sinful. So if there's anybody that's never sinned, you go ahead and condemn her. And he looks around. Anybody? Anybody, do I, anybody live the perfect life? Anybody have no sin in their life? Oh, okay, so let's not condemn this, this lady. And everybody walks away. And then he looks the lady right in the eye, helps her get back up and says, now stop sinning. <laughs> go, go, do, go live a life that's God-honoring. Grace and truth. Without grace, she would have never wanted to listen to him. She would have had no chance to listen to him. Without truth, there's no reason that anyone would ever change their lives. And a distinct life is graceful enough that earns the trust and respect of the world, but it offers truth that should inspire people to be different and not accept truth as it is here on earth. The most disheartening thing 
is that a distinct life will often get people upset on both sides. Did you know that? If, if, you, if you embrace a distinct life like Jesus did, you'll have a portion of people who are very religious saying, you look like a sinner. You're in with sinners. And you'll have a group of people who are sinful saying, how can you tell us we're living our, a life that's wrong? Both people will be upset, but there will be some people whose lives will be changed for eternity because you've decided to take on the mission of Jesus. That was his greatest criticism, right? The Jewish leaders said, you're a sinful, um, you're, a sinful you're, you're lying, you're deceiving people, you're spending time with those who are drunk, who are those who have shady financial dealings, with those who are in sexual sin, and none of that's acceptable to God. Jesus, why could you spend time with those people? It's because he was full of grace, and people wanted to be close to him. And then there were people that were upset that said, you can't tell me that I'm doing something that's wrong, but he was full of truth and he never backed down from that truth. Now, as we wrap up this morning, I love that the Bible and in Jesus' prayer, he set it up with practical steps. So how do we live a life that's full of grace and full of truth? First off is that Jesus warned us that life would be challenging. He said this to us. If you're going to do this, don't expect that it's going to be easy. The moment that we start to believe that living a life that's set apart will be easy, and that will be accepted, whether that's in church or out of the church, we're sunk. <laughs> the mission of Christianity is so huge, and it's not for the faint of heart. Look at the words of Jesus, John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. <laughs> if you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And when people are upset with us, we can remember that it's our faith that they're upset with. It's not us that they're upset with. And it's not who we are, but it's whose we are. And when people become upset because we live a life that's full of grace and truth, they're remembering, I'm just doing what God has called me to do, and I'm sticking true to his word. And living distinctly, he promised us it will cause us trouble. And when we do this mind shift, when we say, you know what, I'm going to have to stand up for something that is different than what other people are telling me, we're going to face trouble. And that's the first practical step. Just do a mind shift. Go, I'm going to have a challenge in this world to live out the faith that Christ has called me to live. The second thing is this. Jesus didn't pray that we would be removed from disagreeable or even dangerous environments. That's a Doug statement, if you can tell. If you've listened to Doug, right there. <laughs> to disagreeable or dangerous environments. In, in his prayer, acknowledging that it would be hard didn't lead him to say, so I want my, my, my close friends, the disciples, to come out of this. He didn't begin to pray for that. To follow Christ meant to take up his cause and to take on difficult things. The town of Ave Maria might be a really neat place to visit, but it's not a place where Jesus would have bought a house. He wouldn't have gone out to the wilderness of Florida and lived with people who already understood that he came as God's son. And a Christ follower should seek out the very kinds of places that may be in direct opposition to Christianity and not go in to cause trouble and start riots and, and, big, and big scenes, but to bring love. Our neighbors, our former neighbors, I remember they just moved into the house and they said, we'd love you to come over on Sunday. We're having a puja. Anyone know what a puja is? A few people, went, yeah, you know, yeah. It's a house blessing. It's a traditional Hindu house blessing. And this was on Sunday morning and we thought, I don't know that Pastor Doug would let me off on a Sunday morning to go to a house blessing. So, so we talked with them. We said, 
Well, tell us a little bit about what's going on, because we want to, like, we want, they're new to the neighborhood, new to Canada. We would love to support you. And they said, well, we're having a Hindu priest come over, and it, I don't know, it was like four hours or so, wasn't it? It was a long, it was, it was, it was a long time. And, and they said, but you probably won't want to be there for the full time of that anyway. So, and we said, well, we're going to go to church uh, first, and then maybe we'll come over after. They said, that's when you'll want to be there anyways. You'll get to meet all of our friends. So we did. We went to church, and then we came back, and there was still things going on. There was a fire in the middle of the living room. Literally, the fire was like this high. They, they had disconnected the smoke detector. So Rudy, just close your ear. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, had, they had disconnected the smoke detectors, and, and there, there was something going on. So we came in, and we saw what was happening there, and we were watching. And then we went, and we talked to the friends that were there, and you wouldn't believe, everyone knew right away, oh, that's Rick and Amanda, and there's their daughter, Hope. They had prepped people that we were these people that were coming, and they were going to church first, and then they were coming. We did, I would, I would have to say that we were probably, I think we were the only white people in that room at that point, so we did stand out a little bit, but it was this unbelievable, they, their friend, it was so important to them that we would come, even though they knew our faith, it was so important to, I mean, I, I'm a pastor, I work at the church, they understood, right? But it was so important to them that I would come and validate them, what they were doing. I wasn't there to pray with them. I wasn't there to participate. But I was going into a place that was not Christian to say, yeah, I'm going to be and I'm going to bring love. And this is, this is, this is who we are. And we have become great friends with our neighbors. And uh, their, their kids, you may have seen them here on, on, on Wednesday nights in our kids program. We have our Wednesday night kids leaders. They've, becoming, they've been coming to the church, a place they would never have come, only when Amanda and I came in grace first. And we need to know that Jesus didn't pray, Lord, protect them from pujas. Lord, protect them from going into and working and having friends and neighbors whose lives aren't Christian. No, he didn't, he didn't say protect them from that. Here's what he did say, let's protect them from. He said, I pray protection from the evil one. So that's what the third one was there. In the midst of living out your faith in a broken world, there will be real challenges. And we are tempted to compromise on truth. And in these last few months and even weeks, we've seen that there's been Christian leaders who are saying, you know, I want to back off what the truth of the Bible says because that would fit better for our world. And Jesus said, I'm going to pray against that, that you would not be tempted and you would be protected from the evil one because absolutely anyone can come to know Christ. And we, we know this. But he asks that we leave every part of ourself and just say, Lord, you can work on any part of me. There's nothing about me, who I am. There's nothing that you can't sanctify, that word. There's nothing that you can't set apart and make different and make new. So all he asks is that we come to him not saying, Lord, this is the truth that's in the world and you have most of me and you can touch almost everything, but there's a part of me that you can't change and make different. No, he didn't say that. He said that to be sanctification is to be completely set apart. And we've seen, like we said, we've seen Christians say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waver a little bit on what truth is. And we make statements like this saying, saying that, Lord, there's only parts of me that you can, that you can change. Or, Lord, I want to change your truth. I want to change the word so it fits better in the world. We leave ourselves open to be... We, or, or, or when we say the opposite, when we say there is, this is truth that's in the world, this is truth that's in Scripture and it's not going to be accepted by the world, we leave ourselves open to being labeled as haters. The Bible could be labeled as hate literature. But Jesus prayed that we would have protection. 
as we lived out this distinct truth in the world. He said, I'm not going to take you out of the difficult situation. I want you to be close, and I want you to have protection as you live out this truth. And then finally, he said, he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to live distinct lives. If we try to go about this in our own power, with our own head knowledge and our own understanding of what's right and wrong, we are absolutely sunk. The last instruction of Christ to his disciples was this. Before you go anywhere, you wait for the Holy Spirit. Do you remember this? This is in Acts. If you know the Bible, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. You wait, because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, this is going to go poorly for you. Now think about that. They just saw a person die and come back to life. He appeared to them in miraculous ways. Then he just got lifted up into heaven. What an inspired group of people these must have been. And what did he say? Go tell everyone. He said, don't go anywhere. (laughs) If you go now and try and bring truth to the world without the Holy Spirit, you're sunk because the world will be upset, because you're going to be tempted, because it's not going to feel right sometimes. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask April just to come back to the keys. None of us know, none of us is walking this line perfectly well. Some of us have become, if if we were to be honest this morning, we would say, you know what? I've detached because I don't like what I see in the world. I don't like what what I'm being faced with. So I'm just going to detach a little bit. And we've, we're not living in Ave Maria, but we're living in our own little Christian circle cocoon. And our life never interacts closely enough with people who desperately need to know truth and desperately need light and desperately need the words of Jesus. And this morning, we're just going to wonder, we're just going to take some time and reflect. And if we can go ahead and we're just going to ask, maybe the Holy Spirit is going to lay something on your heart and say, you know, you've detached. I want you to be distinct in a place that needs to know me. Or it's possible that you're on the other side and you know who Christ is and you know where truth comes from. You know that the Bible is, trumps everything, any kind of tolerance. But you've become a little bit desensitized to things that are in the world and you say, you know what? I'm just, it's okay for me to be a little more worldly because this is just my way of fitting in. And Jesus said, no, your life should be different. You should be set apart. You are not of this world. You're to live closely. You're to live distinctly, though. And your life should be different. And we've compromised truth a little bit because it becomes more comfortable. It becomes easier for us. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to spend some quiet reflection for a few moments. And we believe that when there, are, when there are people who are Christ followers that get together, that his spirit is there with us because he's resident within us. And we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to us this morning. And I'm just going to challenge you just to quietly listen or to write or to do whatever way that you connect best with the Spirit and with God. Just let him begin to challenge maybe one area of your life to become less detached, to become a little less desensitized into the middle where we would be distinct people bringing grace and truth.
Father, we echo the prayer that Jesus prayed on that day that we just read about in Scripture, that um, we pray that we be reminded that we are citizens of heaven. If we've confessed you as Lord and Savior, that we live for you. And Lord, I ask that you help us to live lives that, modeled, that are modeled after, after Jesus, who who is here, he was completely God, yet completely human, and so many people's lives were changed forever, for eternity. They'll spend eternity with you because he brought grace and he brought truth. God, I pray that nobody in this room or who listens to this message, Lord, would feel condemned because of, because of one of the extremes that we go to. One of the, it's tough for us to keep it in balance, Lord. We confess that we can't do it perfectly, and probably moving on from here, we still won't do it perfectly. But God, whether we lean to either side, would you help us always be reminded to go and live the best that we can, the best representation of Christ in a broken world that needs to know Christ. And God, I pray for anyone here this morning that, that doesn't know you as Savior, that I pray that the truth of what we've been talking about this morning would pierce their heart right now, Lord Jesus, and that they would know that, that there's something greater than what they can see and experience here on earth. They can see and experience you who brings ultimate love and ultimate forgiveness and ultimate acceptance into the Father's family, into the kingdom. And God, that they would begin to know that Lord, we ask that uh, the Holy Spirit would guide every one of our steps. We can't do this without your Holy Spirit's leading and guidance. And in the moment, whenever we falter on either side, Holy Spirit, just bring a correct, just bring a, that, that little bit of correction in our, in our minds so that we would go and be different. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is sharp. You said the word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And sometimes it cuts us a little bit and it cuts into what we've, how we've been living, how we've been thinking. Lord, thank you that you do that and you shape us into new people every time we encounter your word. God, I ask that uh, your spirit be with us wherever we go, whatever we do over the course of this day. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.